please turn with me to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12. If you're wondering where the book of Hebrews is, it's in the second half of your Bible, in something called the New Testament. And near the back third of your Bible, you're going to find a book called Hebrews. Uh, it's a very special letter written by one of the apostles to a very special church. And we'll be looking at chapter 12 of Hebrews this morning. And I'm going to ask you guys to read it with me just in a minute. But before I do that with you, I wanted to introduce, for those of you who weren't here last week at our Thanksgiving service, something that we're doing that's brand new here at Thrive. See, we are doing a brand new series here at Thrive. It's called Greater. Everyone say Greater. And why do we call this series Greater? It's because deep down we believe that each and every one of us has a longing for something greater. Maybe you're here today and you think about some of the stuff that you're doing right now and you think, man, I want to do something greater. I want greater results. I want to make a greater impact. Maybe you look at yourself today and you think, man, I wish I had greater patience to deal with the stuff that I'm dealing with right now. I wish I had greater patience to deal with some of the people that I have to deal with right now. Maybe you think about yourself and you think, man, I wish I had greater courage to face this mountain that I'm facing right now. Maybe you wish you had greater wisdom to make decisions that you have to make during the season of your life. Maybe you wish you had greater peace about some scary situation that you're about to face or are facing right now. In other words, inside, inside each and every one of us, there's a longing for something greater. There's a longing for us to be, to do, and to experience something greater. We don't want to stay the same. To your neighbor and say greater. See, we really believe this, is that there is a greater version of you that is waiting to rise up from you this coming year. It's a more resilient you, it's a more patient you, it's a more loving you, it's a more effective you, it's a wiser you, it's a more courageous you. And this series called Greater is about stepping into that greater version of who you were made to be. And so last week, if you were here last week, and we saw so many of you this past week uh, being part of the beginning of our series where we talked about how the greater version of you is the grateful version of you, is that when you choose to have gratitude, when you make the choice to rejoice, when you choose an attitude of gratitude, when you focus on the good, that somehow you step into a greater version of who you are. Today, while gratitude is so necessary, and how many of us have an attitude of gratitude this morning? Give God a big shout in this place. Amen. No matter what you're going through, always choose an attitude of gratitude. How many of us know that no matter how gratitude is important, no matter how necessary it is, it's not enough? It's not enough. See, today we're looking at another such important, such, a, such an important aspect of stepping into the greater version of you. And to help me introduce the title for this message, I thought I'd share something with you that many of you don't know about me already, which is this, is that um, I can be, when it comes to personal hygiene, um, a little bit stingy on myself. I, I'm not, I don't think I'm a stingy person. I don't think I am. But when it comes to myself and some of the things that I'll buy for my own personal hygiene, I, I can be a little frugal. I can be a little stingy. For example, I won't buy a toothbrush unless it's on sale. Uh, I won't buy shaving cream unless it's buy one, get four free. You know, and, and to this day, you know, when I use disposable razors, a pack of maybe four or five, six disposable Gillette razors, that will you know, last me probably about two years. That, that, that this is just how I work. It's just how I roll. But I, I got to tell you this is that my cheapness when it comes to personal hygiene is never more pronounced than when it comes to toothpaste, to toothpaste. And, and, and I thought I'd show you uh, the toothpaste that I'm using right now. 
You see, I, I don't know. I, I mean, different people have different routines and habits when it comes to toothpaste. I know this, is that for me, my goal when I use toothpaste is I want to use every ounce of toothpaste there is until there's nothing left. Do you have that kind of habit? And so you know, what I'll do is, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll use as much as I can and, you know, I'll press down as much as I can. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, some of you guys do this as well. Like you'll, you'll kind of just press from the bottom up to the top. You want to try to squeeze it all. Some people I know, they do the roll. You know, they do the roll. They roll it up. I don't do the roll. Do you know what I do? Is I, I get a ruler, and I'll, I'll start from the bottom, and I'll push all the way to the top, and I'll get a lot more. But I don't end there. Do you know what I do? After I get a ruler, I go to Staples, and I get a pair of scissors, and I'll cut it in half. I'll open it up, and I can use it maybe three, four more days after that. Um, I'm kind of stingy in that way. And I, I don't know if I'm the only one. In fact, I was talking to some of our staff this past week about their habits, and some of them have some weird habits when it comes to saving toothpaste. I won't go into any more detail about that, but kind of extreme, kind of extreme. Uh, no wonder we work together. But the fact is this. The fact is this. is Why am I talking so much today about maximizing the amount of toothpaste in your Colgate toothpaste tube? It's because today it has something to do with the message I'm here to share with you, which is called, There's More in You. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's more in you. Turn to someone else and say, there's more in you. See, in this message called, there's more in you, we're talking today about perseverance. We're talking about something so important called perseverance. Maybe this has been a stressful, busy season of your life. Maybe when it comes to work, things are so busy. Maybe when it comes to relationships, things are really stressful. Maybe when it comes to your studies, you know, you know, things are getting kind of frantic. When it comes to your finances, maybe you feel the pinch. Maybe when it comes to just another aspect of your life, maybe you've gone through a setback, you'll experience a bit of a disappointment or a failure. Maybe you've experienced some criticism that has, you're still dealing with today. Maybe there's a delay in terms of a decision that you're hoping to come down and you're a little bit discouraged. If, 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 if that's you today, then this message is for you. Maybe you've even felt like giving up. Well, I'm here to tell you today, this message is for you. To your neighbor and once again say, there's more in you. Would you read with me Hebrews 12, chapter 1 through 3? We love God's word. We believe God's word has the power to change our lives. And so let's read it that way as well. Read these three verses with me in a big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Turn neighbor and say perseverance. See, today we're talking about perseverance. See, perseverance, what is perseverance? Let me give you a definition for it. I hope you are proactive and some of you guys decide to sit in the front more today. That's awesome. Some of you guys decided to sit you know, one row closer to the front today. That is awesome. Uh, some of you guys decide to lift your hands and worship me. That is awesome. One more thing you can do, do to be proactive today is take some good notes. I want you to write this down if you could. This is a little definition for perseverance that you want to take home with you. What is perseverance? Here it is. Perseverance is pushing forward toward a goal despite going through difficulties, setbacks, and opposition. Perseverance is pushing toward a goal 
despite going through difficulties, setbacks, and opposition. I probably don't need to tell you that you can't accomplish very much at all. You can't accomplish anything great without perseverance. You know, so many people, they have big dreams for their lives, but because they never stick around long enough to see those dreams become a reality, uh, they, don't, they don't come true. And, and as a result, you know, they don't really persevere. When you think of dreams maybe in your life in the past where you think, man, well, like I had that dream, but then things got tough and I moved on to the next thing. Well, that, that's, that's a test of perseverance. You can't accomplish very much without perseverance. A lot of people, they, 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 they start on something at first and they're very passionate about it, but then when things get tough, they just kind of move on. They get distracted, they get discouraged, and they just kind of move on to the next big shiny thing that they see. And see, so you can't accomplish very much without perseverance. Another thing is you can't mature without perseverance. The fact is this, James chapter 1 verse 4, it's not on the screen, but James chapter 1 verse 4 says, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, perseverance is part of the process to you becoming the person that God made you to be. It's part of the process. It's part of the process. See, it's easy to say, just persevere. It's easy to say, just hang in there. It's easy to say, just don't give up. Today, we're talking about how do you persevere practically? We all know that perseverance is a good thing, but how do you do perseverance? How do you don't give up? How do you do that? Well, some people, they just, well, I I just do it. I just find a way. I just do it. And sometimes when it comes to perseverance, that's all you can really do. You don't know why. You don't know how. But somehow you just push forward toward that goal, whether you feel like it or not. And you just use your willpower to just keep on going regardless of how you feel or regardless of what you think. And there is definitely an aspect of perseverance which involves willpower. But over time, I've learned something about perseverance. And you can write this down. Is that perseverance is not just about willpower. Perseverance is also about perspective. See, it's not just about mindlessly, thoughtlessly pushing through without any kind of thought at all. Perseverance, if you want to persevere, is also about your perspective. It's about your attitude. And so if you want to grow in perseverance, you need to grow in perspective. And so today, that's why I want to share with you three or four things that have helped me renew my perspective when the going gets tough. Three or four things that help me renew my perspective so that I can more easily persevere through a tough time. Maybe you're going through an incredibly tough time right now, business-wise or friendship-wise or marriage-wise or health-wise. You can apply what we're talking about to your situation today immediately. Maybe for you today, you've got no problems. Maybe you're here and life is perfect. Well, Congratulations. Good for you. But I guarantee you, there will come a time when you will need to do the things we're talking about today. So I encourage you to take some good notes as well. How do you grow a persevering perspective? We're going to talk about three or four things from Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. Write this first one down. Break it down into baby steps. You know, when I'm taking an exam or I'm working on a project or I'm learning a new skill or I'm, you know, trying to get through a a difficult time or I'm just planning the day, I find that it helps me so much to break things down into little manageable pieces, which I call baby steps. Instead of thinking of all the things that I have to do in their whole totality, I break it down into these manageable, bite-sized baby steps. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 with me, and read it with me in a big, loud voice one more time. What does it say? It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. If you have your Bibles in front of you, I encourage you to have your Bibles in front of you. I encourage 
encourage you to highlight these words, the race marked out for us. The race marked out for us. See, the, whether you know it or not, there is a race that is marked out for you. And I find this is that it helps me to persevere in life when I know the kind of race that I am called to run. And see, here's the thing. I got to let you know, the race that's marked out for you is not a sprint. The race marked out for you is a marathon. You know, in the Olympics, for example, you're going to see that most of, if not all the races that you will see are relatively short. You know, the 100-meter dash, that's like nine seconds. You know, swimming meets, the, the swimming heats, those are super fast. That takes like maybe two minutes. You know, the longest race you'll find in the Olympics lasts maybe a few hours, though the training could take years. But I'm, not sure, I'm, I'm here to tell you this, is that the race that you're called to run isn't just a few seconds long. The race that you're called to run isn't just even a few hours long or even a few days long. The race that you're called to run could take years, even decades of your life. And it's a much longer race, whether it's your career that we're talking about, or we're talking about parenting, or we're talking about a business venture that you started. You know, these are things that you don't expect are going to be gone after a, an hour of trying, but it's going to be a thing that's going to keep you occupied and involved for potentially decades, or potentially the majority of the 80, 90, 100 years that you have in this world. And so there's a race you've called, you're called to run, but it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Everyone say, it's a marathon. It's a long-distance race. Anyone like long-distance running here? Any long-distance runners here? I know some of you like long-distance running. In high school, I hated long-distance running. Oh, oh yeah, can I get an amen? Oh, man. Hated long-distance running. In elementary school, I hated it even more. And, and, and I remember every, every, every time we had PE class and it was the endurance run test, I just hated it. I just could not, you know, I, I just was like, you know, finding every way to get out of it. But it was when I started going to kind of early university, late high school, I started to run a lot more. And even to this day, and I'm not a long-distance runner by any means, but, you know, like every week, I'll try to run maybe a two or three times a week. I'll, I'll run maybe two or three miles each time, and I'll run on a treadmill. Sometimes I'll run outside, but a lot of times it's on a treadmill in the gym that I go to. And let me tell you this, running on a treadmill is not comfortable. It's, it's kind of boring sometimes. But I find this is that though it's not comfortable while I'm doing it, at the end of it, I'm almost always glad that I did it. And, and what, what I find is this, is on the treadmill... When I know that there's a long distance to go, because you know, for me it's a long distance, for others it's not, but two, three miles for me, that's long enough. And, and when I know that there's still 20 more minutes to go, or there's so more like two and a half miles, or 2.9 miles left on this run that I've decided to go on, you know what helps me? It helps me to break it down to baby steps. It helps me to think, okay, I'm not going to think about how I've got 20 more minutes to run. I'm going to think of how I'm going to just run this next minute. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pace myself. I'm going to break it down to baby steps. And, and I'll think, okay, how, how can I run this next minute, these next two minutes? I'm going to see if I can just take, uh, like, like let, me, let me see if I can take 50 steps. And I'll think of it that way. I'll break it down. And I'll literally, in my head, as I'm running on this treadmill, I'll be like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Two, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Three, two, three, four. How long is it going to go? He's going to keep on counting. Those, you know, four, two, you know, and, and I'll just keep on doing that. And, and, and what is that? Is that I am, I am breaking it down into baby steps because I find this, is if I just focus on the totality, the whole thing that I have to do, I'm going to get discouraged. And so what helps me to persevere, what changes my perspective, is to break it down. Turn to your neighbor and say, break it down. See, here's the thing. You don't climb a mountain in one single step. You know, kind of like, you know, first man, that film, right? It's one small step for man, one giant step for mankind. The fact is, you don't climb a mountain by taking one single step. You climb a mountain by taking thousands of little steps. 
baby steps. And see, some of you today, you are discouraged because there's a mountain in front of you right now. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's when it comes to your health or the health of someone you love. Maybe it's in your personal life. And you're trying to overcome this mountain in just one big step. And I'm here to tell you today, if you're trying to go from broke to filthy rich, you know, in one step, or you're trying to go from a marriage that is, you know, just, just hanging by a thread to this super healthy marriage to in a weekend, can I tell you this? You need to pace yourself. You need to break it down. And see, here's the thing. When you're trying to figure out everything in just one step, it is easy to lose hope. It is easy to get discouraged. It's easy to give up. But see, instead of thinking, how much longer or how much more do I have until the very end, I break it up into baby steps. One small step at a time. One day at a time. One little project. One little task at a time. And when you break it down into baby steps, you're so much more able to persevere on the race that God has marked out for you. If you believe us, say amen. Amen. That's number one. Number two, another thing that helps me renew my perspective so I can persevere is this. Write this down. Keep the end goal in mind. Keep the end goal in mind. Let me tell you something about this man that you might recognize. His name is Jim Carrey. Of course, at one time, one of the A-list actors of Hollywood. And let me tell you this, is that it wasn't always that way for Jim Carrey. For several years, in the mid-80s and the early 90s, Jim Carrey was a broke, struggling actor who always had dreams of making it big in Hollywood, but could never seem to get the breaks that he wanted. And, and there was one time when he was so broke and so frustrated with life, he was driving down uh, you know, downtown LA, he went up on a hill, he parked the car at the top of the hill, and he just decided to do this one thing. You know what he did? He took out his checkbook and he wrote a check. He wrote a check to himself for $10 million. And then in the remarks underneath, he said, for acting services rendered. And then in the date, he dated it three years from that day. It was, it was about Thanksgiving 1992. He dated it about Thanksgiving 1995. And he wrote to Jim Carrey, $10 million for acting services rendered. And he kept that check in his wallet for the next three years. And even though when he was going to buy coffee and he opened up his wallet and there's like just a few dollars in there, he, he, he'd see the check in there and that, that check would get more and more dilapidated and, and more and more, you know, folded over. But he'd see that check and be a reminder of his end goal. And you know what happened? Three years later, just around Thanksgiving, he received a real check. And that check was for over $10 million for his work in a film, the classic film called Dumb and Dumber. And see, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that when we focus on our end goal, it somehow pulls us across the finish line at the very end. When we focus on that end goal. See, I, I know about you, but I find this, is that when you're doing something that takes a lot of time, when you're doing something that takes a lot of hard work, it's the middle part that's the hardest. See, it's, it's perseverance, I find, is especially necessary when you're in the middle of something difficult, when you're in the middle of something challenging. See, we don't really need or think about perseverance when you're at the beginning of something, when everything is fresh, when the idea is still new, when you have a full supply of energy and vision in you. You're not thinking about perseverance because you're just go, 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 go. But see, you don't need perseverance at that time. You know, when you're near the end or at the end and you can see the light at the end tunnel, it's a lot easier to persevere because you're almost there. It's almost there. We're almost there. And, and you can get there a little bit more quickly that way. It's in the middle period that perseverance is especially hard. It's in the middle period that perseverance is especially necessary. Does that make sense? And see, and you might find that with yourself right now. You know, it's a lot like pregnancy. 
is that uh, you know I've you know I, I find that you know, usually the beginning is beautiful, right? The making of the baby that's a beautiful thing, or hopefully you think it's a beautiful thing, okay? Right? Uh, the 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 announcement of the baby that's usually a big big, big thing we're expecting, right? Like it's 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 bi- it's this beautiful thing. There's also when you get to the very end, there's the beautiful ending where the baby comes out into this world and it's a brand new thing and, and it's just like wow and and it's, it's beautiful. You know, at those times there's not really much perseverance needed during that time. But you know where perseverance is necessary? It's between that beautiful beginning and that beautiful end. It's the morning sickness. It's the nausea. It's the not sleeping well. It's the gaining weight. It's the aches and the pains. It's the mood swings. And I'm just talking about me and my own experience. You know, I, I don't know about what Pastor Charlene went through when she was pregnant, but that's just me. That's just me. And, and see, here's the thing. The middle is often the hardest part, much harder than the beginning or the end. Are you in the middle of something hard right now? Maybe, maybe you're in the midpoint of school and you've got something called midterms and it is painful for you to go through right now. Maybe you're in the middle of your career. You're not fresh into that new career, but you're certainly not close to retiring and you're just in the middle. You're trying to break through and there's some struggles that you're going through right now. You're in the middle of something hard. Maybe you're in a relationship that you care about, but you're in the middle of a tough spot right now. It used to be so sweet. It used to be so great and, and, and you hope at the end it will be, but right now in the middle, it is tough. The honeymoon stage is over and things are not easy. You're in a tough tough, painful middle period. Maybe even your relationship with God is that maybe you recently gave your life to Jesus or just a few years ago you got baptized and at that point everything seemed so heavenly. Everything seemed so miraculous and so supernatural and now you're walking out your commitment with God. You're walking out your relationship with God. You're working out that salvation that God has given to you and now you're facing some temptations. Now you're facing some tests and you're in that painful middle period where you, you're, you're, not, you're not a born baby. You're not a, br- a brand new born baby anymore. You're not heaven yet but you're somewhere in that painful middle. Maybe that's you today. You see, my question for you is this. What are you in the middle of today that you need to persevere through? What is that middle, painful middle period that you're going through right now? You know what helps you to persevere through the middle period? Is to keep the end goal in mind. See, look at Hebrews 12, 2 with me in in a big, loud voice. Would you read it with me? One, two, three, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you have your Bibles in front of you, would you highlight or underline these words, for the joy set before him, for the joy set before him. See, what was the joy that was set before Jesus. See, Hebrews 2, 12 verse 2 says that Jesus had a joy set before him. It was an end goal that helped him to persevere and endure even things as painful as the cross. What caused Jesus to go through the most suffering that anyone has ever gone through? What caused Jesus to go through more humiliation than any of us will ever go through? What caused him to is because he had a joy set before him. He had an end goal set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? Let me tell you one part of it. That joy was you. That joy is you. Is that Jesus went to the cross and he did all of that suffering bore our sins on the cross, nailed to a cross, not because he enjoyed it, 
Not because, you know, he had nothing better to do, but he did it because he had a joy set before him, which is when I do this, then my work is finished. My, 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 my people, my, my friends, they can be forgiven of their sins. They can be brought back to God. It's because the Bible says long before we ever thought about God, God was reaching for us. We, you know, had sinned against God. We had messed up in all sorts of ways. We turned our backs on God and said, I want to do things my way, not your way. The Bible says that because of that, we are disqualified from having anything to do with heaven anything to do with God. But God didn't give up on us. He didn't divorce us. Instead, he said, because I love you, I'm going to send Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for your sins, to die on the cross for your sins, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could have a way back to me, so that if anyone puts their faith in Jesus, their sins are forgiven, they become children of God, and you have eternal life as a citizen of heaven. Come on, give Jesus a big hand, big shout in this place together right now. See, Jesus persevered through the most suffering anyone will ever go through because he had a joy set before him and that joy is you turn neighbor and say you are god's joy you are god's joy and if you ever questioned how valuable you are if you ever questioned if you matter to anyone can i tell you this right now if you don't get anything else from this message today is that you matter to god that you are precious and valuable to him so much so that jesus even just for the chance to be with you, not the guarantee because it would still be up to you to receive him and to choose him, but even just for the chance, even just for the chance of asking you out, even just for the chance of being with you, even just for the chance that maybe, just maybe, you'd be in a relationship with him, for the joy of that set before him, he endured the cross and scorned its shame so that you and I could know a joy that the world cannot give. Come on, give Jesus a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. See, do you know what kept Jesus on the cross? It wasn't nails. It was his love for you. Jesus was on the cross because he had a joy set before him, and that joy, in part, was you. And see, because Jesus kept that end goal in mind, that focus on the end goal pulled him through all the painful middle stuff he had to go through. That's the power of keeping the end goal in mind. That's the power of having a vision that you can run for even when the going gets tough. You know, we're really blessed here at Thrive that we've had, you know, quite a bit of growth in our church over the past number of years. But for me, Thrive Church's story has always been a story of perseverance. It always has been. You know, uh, many of you weren't here with us when we first began. Uh, in fact, I think none of you were. Uh, August 2007 was when Pastor Charlene and I, we moved back here to Vancouver to, to plant Thrive Church, and we started in my parents' basement, and it was just the two of us. And, and, and I remember it was the first week before our very first gathering, and I remember I was freaking out. I was like, we don't have any people. We, we, how are we possibly going to do this? We don't have a team. You know, we, we don't have any experience. I, I've preached maybe five sermons in my life, and, and, and I, I have no idea who's going to show up this Sunday. And Shar was amazing throughout there. She's like, oh, it's going to be okay. God is with us and all that stuff. And, and, and I remember that, man, it was kind of just persevering through that very beginning point. And then, and then in 2009, a couple years later, we decided that we'd go from being a, a small group to having Saturday night services. And, man, especially in the summer, that was tough because, you know, a lot of our students, they'd be away in the summer, and so some 
sometimes it felt like there were more people on the stage than there were in the seats. And, uh, you know, I remember back in 2012, you know, we'd gone through an exciting time where we'd gone from a church of about 60 people. And we were so excited about, oh, 60 people. We, we, we grew up to a church to about 100 people. And we're super excited about that. And then we decided, okay, you know, we need to move somewhere where we've got more space for small groups. We moved to East Richmond. And, you know, in East Richmond, the commute for a lot of our young people went from one hour to get to church to two hours to get to church one way. And we're like, oh, no. And, and as a result, you know, our, our attendance started to drop again to about 75 people. And, and man, that was a tough time we had to go through. You know, 2014, 2015, we, we started doing Sunday services. Uh, we thought, okay, we're going to be a normal church now. We're going to go from Saturday nights to Sunday mornings. And we expected at first that, oh, we'll have a lot of young families come in. We'll have all that stuff. But in that first year, we didn't grow as a church. You know, we, we were about 100 people at that time, and we stayed 100 people. By the end, we had people moving to other cities and all that stuff. And you know what? All those different struggle, struggles that we went through over the past few years, when I look at that, I think, you know, what was it that kept us going through all those tough times? It was our end goal. It was the vision of 10,000 AEIOU leaders in the city of Vancouver. And I'd often, you know, after a service, a tough service, I'd go and I'd go back home and I'd just recite to myself our vision statement. I'd say, here at Thrive Church, we exist for five purposes called AEIOU. A stands for alive. It means we're here to worship Jesus. E stands for, invo- e stands for expect. It means we're here to grow into Christ-like disciples. I stands for involved. It means we're here to serve God with our talents. O stands for out loud. It means we're here to lead others to Jesus. U stands for united. It means we want to love our spiritual family. And our dream is to build a church of 10,000 AEIU leaders in the city of Vancouver. And, and you know, what, what happened is this, is that every time I'd focus on that vision, I'd have, for some reason, strength to keep on going. Every time I'd want to give up, I'd just focus on that vision and, and, and I'd have strength to keep on going and find that, man, there's actually more in me than I thought. And see, so, you know, even just, and praise God, oh, since that time, you know, we've gone through a number of years now where just God continues to build our church and expand our church and to multiply our church, multiply our small groups. We have more people coming to Jesus than ever before. Even last Sunday, we had the, one of the highest record attendance we've ever had uh, at any service, let alone Thanksgiving service. Let's give God a big, big hand for that. And, and it's one of those things where you know, when, when I look at that, I think, man, we've still got a lot to grow. We've still got a lot to learn. We're still at the very beginning of our journey, but I can say the best is yet to come. Amen? And, and see, here's the thing. We would have never gone from that exciting, slightly stressful beginning to where we are today if we hadn't persevered through what was a painful middle period. And, and we wouldn't have persevered through that painful middle period if we didn't focus on that end goal and have that end goal in mind. That's why we often keep our end goal in mind. That's why we often say, you know, our vision statement together as a church. That's why we even write it on our wall outside. And that's why we often talk about incorporating the things that we do. It's because it's all about keeping that end goal in mind. Because you're going to find this, is that when you're focused on your end goal, that end goal will pull you through your toughest times. When you're focused on that end goal, that end goal will motivate you to keep on going even when your circumstances are not going well. When you're focused on that end goal, that end goal will remind you of why you're doing what you're doing because when you don't have that end goal in sight, you can easily give up. If you believe that, say amen. What is that specific end goal for you that you're working toward? See, I believe that as a church, that 10,000 AEIOU leader vision, that is our goal together. That's our calling together. Amen. Amen. But maybe there's a specific goal that God has given to you when it comes to your family, when it comes to your business, when it comes to your studies, when it comes to your career, when it comes to your kids, where you have a specific end goal, a vision or a dream that's God, that God has placed in your heart. What is that end goal? Because let me tell you this, when you are going through the toughest times, hang on to that end goal. 
focus on that end goal. Keep that end goal in mind. It's the difference between two people laying bricks where you've heard it before. One is really depressed and unmotivated, unenergized, lazy, saying, I'm just putting down bricks. I'm just laying down bricks. The other person is motivated, and he might be tired, but he just, keep on, he just keeps on going. He doesn't give up, and he's thinking to himself, I'm not just laying bricks. I'm building a cathedral. It's because he's got the end goal in mind. And so maybe you're here, and you're putting that crying baby to sleep, and you think to yourself, what am I doing? What am I doing? You can think to yourself, end goal in mind. Praise God. I've got the next prime minister of Canada right here in my arms. Amen. I've got the next AEIOU leader in God's kingdom in my arms right now. I'm, I'm raising up a man of God who loves Jesus. I'm going to raise up a woman of God who loves Jesus, who's going to impact her city and her school and her family and generations to come. It's talking about the end goal. Everyone say the end goal. Turn neighbor and say, keep the end goal in mind. Are you in the middle of something tough right now? To help you persevere, to help you see that there's more in you, keep the end goal in mind. Number three, number three, fix your eyes on Jesus, who is always greater than your problem. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who is always greater than your problem. Could you read with me Hebrews 12, 2 to 3 with me one more time? Read it with a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Stop right there. Stop right there. Could you underline a couple things that I want to point you to right now? Would you underline these words? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Could you underline right now? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And underline one more word. Underline one more word. It's perfecter. The author and perfecter of our faith. Everyone say perfecter. We don't really use that word that often, but that's the word that is used here in Hebrews 2. What does perfecter mean? It means means a finisher. Not just the author who starts it, but the one who finishes it. Jesus is one who perseveres. Jesus is the champion of perseverance. And you're going to find that more, the more you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, the more you become a finisher yourself. The more you are motivated and enabled to finish off what it is that you are called to do, because that just happens when you draw close to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Would you underline these words? Consider him. Consider him. Turn to your neighbor and say, Consider him. Consider him. Consider who? Consider Jesus who endures such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Whenever you are wanting to give up, whenever you think you need to throw in the towel, think about Jesus. Consider him. You know, once I was in a gym when I was living in Taiwan, and uh, I was at this gym, which is at the bottom of our apartment complex, and it's a very, very small gym, and, and I'm in there, and I'm in there alone with this one eight-year-old boy that I'd never met before, and I don't know why he was in that gym. But he's there, and as I'm working out, he's trash-talking major, major on me. He's like, and I've never met him before. He's like, my dad is so much stronger than you. My dad can lift so much more than you can. My dad's so much better than you. My dad is so much greater than you are. And, and I was like, do I know you? And, and, and see, and here's the thing. Because he considered his dad to be the greatest thing ever, for him, nothing else could compare, and he could walk around the gym like a boss. And, 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 and I learned something on that day, and you can write this down, is this. You are controlled by whatever you consider to be the greatest. 
You are controlled by whatever you consider to be the greatest. If you think that your problem is the greatest, biggest, most powerful thing ever, you're going to be controlled by it. You're going to worry, you're going to stress, you're going to panic as if there's nothing greater than that and it's going to control you. But if you know that there is nothing greater than Jesus, then it's the greatness of Jesus that's going to control you even as you face that problem. See, see, some people, they love to talk about their problems. And they love to talk about how big their problems are. They, lo- they love to talk about how, you know, how it's so hard. And, and, they kind of, and there's nothing wrong with talking about your problems. We need to share our burdens with one another, the Bible says. But lo- some people, they almost put a magnifying glass on their problems so that that's all they think about. It's all they see. And that's not healthy. That's called worry. That's called negativity. That's called hopelessness. And God didn't live you, make, make you to live that way. And I find that when I do that with me, when I take a magnifying glass and all I focus on is my problem, and I think, oh, my problem is so big. My problem is so great. My problem is so, you know, so huge, so incredible. And I, and I almost worship my problem that way. What happens is I become full of worry. I get stressed out. I make panicky, fearful, dumb decisions. I am a drain on the people around me that I live with or work with. That's what happens when I think there's nothing greater than my problem. But see, when I consider Jesus, when I fix my eyes on Jesus, when I when I think about the greatness of Jesus, when I remember that there's nothing greater than him, all of a sudden I can say to my problem, problem, you might seem big, but there's no one greater than Jesus. You might be big in my eyes right now, but actually, Jesus is so much greater. Turn over and say, Jesus is so much greater. And see, let me tell you this right now, is that you have a choice today when it comes to that problem that you're thinking about right now. You have a choice. Am I going to focus on how great that problem is, or am I going to focus on how great Jesus is? And see, there is nothing, let me tell you, in case you had any doubt about it at all, there is nothing and no one greater than Jesus. The Bible says, Jesus says himself, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. He says that there is, that, 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 the, heaven, that the Father has placed all things under Jesus' feet. And, and it says, you know, greater is he, talking about Jesus, who is in you than he who's in the world. There is no one greater than Jesus. Amen. And, 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 he, and Jesus, it's not just something that he, he says because it sounds good. It's something he proved. Because not only did Jesus die on the cross for our sins, but Jesus rose again as well. And because Jesus rose again, it shows that your two biggest problems in life, your sin, death, none of those things can compare to Jesus. Jesus is greater than sin. He's greater than death. If Jesus is greater than your two biggest problems, then how is he not greater than cancer? How is he not greater than troubles in your marriage? How, how, how is he not greater than that depression you're going through right now? How is he not greater than that financial crisis you're going through right now? How he's not greater than that future uncertainty that you're worried about right now? Jesus is greater. Amen. Amen. Turn over and say, Jesus is greater. And when you know that, you might have a problem, but you can say, you know what? I've got a problem, but the problem don't got me. Because Jesus is greater. And see, let, let me just ask, uh, let me ask a volunteer. I'm going to ask Andrew right now. Andrew, would you come up right now? We didn't rehearse this at all. But I, I want you to pretend, okay, really quick, good looking guy. I'm going to ask you to pretend, everyone, that this is Jesus right here. Okay? 
Whoever thought Jesus was so good looking, good, 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 good things. Good, good. Jesus is better looking. He's greater. No one greater than Jesus. It's true. But let, let me let me tell you this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pretend that uh, you know Andrew is Jesus, okay? And uh, I know Andrew works out, so he'll have no problem with this right now. Is that say say I'm you, and uh, I'm worried about this problem. I'm, I'm really struggling with this issue in my home, in my workplace, in my marriage. Uh, say, say I'm you right now. If Jesus, if the Bible says all things are under Jesus' feet. And if the Bible says that if I believe in Jesus, then my life is in God's hands, life is in Jesus' hands, then what does that mean? If all things are under Jesus' feet, then that means, that means, here, hold me up the the girl style. Okay, here, okay. It means if all things are under Jesus' feet and I am in Jesus' hands, it means that all things are under my feet too. Come on, give God a big hand here in this place right now. Thanks so much, Andrew. Give Andrew a big, big hand here in this place right now. Turn neighbor and say, it's under my feet as well. It's under my feet as well. See, you might think that there's a problem that's way over your head. Actually, with Jesus, it's under your feet because Jesus is greater than anything or anyone. If you believe that, give Jesus a big hand here in this place right now. Amen. That's why when your relationship with Jesus is strong, it's like the biggest challenges will not face you, won't phase you. You'll face them, but you won't be phased by them. But when your relationship with Jesus is weak, when you're focusing more on your problem than you are on Jesus, even the smallest little frustrations, even the smallest little things are going to entangle you and upset you and burden you. And, and that's why coming to church is so important. It's because when you're worshiping with your church family in a big church family setting, you can focus on the bigness and the greatness of who Jesus is once again and how Jesus is so much greater than whatever problem you're facing right now. That's why being part of a small group is so important because you can be with others to be prayed for and you can pray for them. You can encourage one another, support one another, and remind yourselves that Jesus is greater than your problem. That's why you know, having a, a daily time with God where you read the Bible on your own you know, every day is so important. It's because every day you're reminding yourself, my God, Jesus, is greater. That's that's why memorizing scripture helps so much. That's why singing songs of worship helps so much because these are all just different ways that we are focusing on the greatness of Jesus, fixing our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Come on, give Jesus a big hand, a big shout in this place right now. You can be a lot more proactive than that. Come on, give God a big praise in this place. And when you fix your eyes on Jesus, and you remember that Jesus is always with you, and that Jesus is greater than your problem, you're going to discover one more thing, is that there's more in you too. There's more in you too, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. This has been helpful today. One final thing, we're going to close. If you want to gain a persevering perspective, let me ask you to do one last thing, which is this. Number four, see your trouble as training. See your trouble as training. Would you read with me Hebrews 12, 7 to 11 in a big, loud voice? In fact, I'm going to ask you to read it while I take a drink of water. Hebrews 12, 7 to 11, just a few verses after the main passage for us today. Read it in a big, loud voice. What does it say? It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Moreover, 
we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we had respected them for it, how much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Good job, good job. See, as we end today, I want to let you know this, is that um, for a long time, I had this dream of being a pastor. Back in grade 12, I think that was when I started to dream of God using me in a pastoral kind of way and, you know, being part of a great church and all that stuff. And somehow I believed, especially in those early years, that if that was really God's calling on my life, that if that was really what God was wanting me to do, that he would somehow find ways to train me. And in fact, sometimes I'd ask him, God, train me. Train me to, to do this. Train me to become that. Let, let that dream come true. And I remember we were living in Taiwan at the time, and uh, you know, my, my wife and I were part of this great church. Uh, it's now our grandmother church uh, at the time. And, and you know, I'm you know, at this church, and I'm, they're giving me more and more responsibilities, and, and life is getting busy. Life is getting tiring. And, you know, to the point where I'm like, oh, man, I'm so busy and I'm kind of stressed and I'm, I'm thinking about all these things that I'm now responsible for. And, and, and you know, I, I get really kind of focused in on that. And I remember it was like about 1030 at night when our pastor called a prayer meeting for us all to be at. And it's like 1030 at night and we're, we're there and it's, it's just normal prayer meeting. No, nothing urgent, just normal prayer meeting. 1030 at night, we're, we're in this prayer meeting and I'm tired, man. And I, I'm, I'm a little stressed about some of the stuff I was dealing with. And I remember in that prayer meeting, my pastor he asks all of us just to, just to take a moment. He says, take a moment and just listen to what God would say to you right now. Take a moment and just listen to what the Holy Spirit would say to you right now. And as I just kind of opened up my heart and just said, like, Holy Spirit, speak to me right now. You know what I heard the Holy Spirit say? I sensed the Holy Spirit say, you wanted to be trained? This is your training. You wanted to be trained? This is your training. And it's funny because when I started to take heart, take to heart that word that I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me, I sense this, is that when I started to see my trouble not as torture, but as training, it was so much easier to get through. And all of a sudden, these little things that I was doing, these little tasks that I had, took on a significance that they didn't have before because this trouble I was going through was not torture, it was training. And I learned something from that situation, which we can write down today, is that when you treat your troubles as training instead of torture, your difficulties become a stepping stone to your destiny. When you, let me say it again, it's kind of long, but when you treat your troubles as training, not torture, your difficulties become a stepping stone to your destiny. And so when you feel a little bit like this tube of toothpaste in my hands, and you're all twisted and bent out of shape and pressed and pressured and cut up, when you feel that way and it's uncomfortable and it's painful, just remember this, is that God allows you to go through the middle of that trouble, not because he's not there, not because he doesn't care, not because he's cruel, but because he knows there's more in you. There's more, and you turn to him and say, there's more in you. There's more in you. And don't worry, unlike me, God is a lot more merciful. And when there's nothing left, when you've got nothing left, he doesn't throw you away. Instead, when he's done squeezing out the last little bit that you got, he comes and he fills you with more. He comes and he gives you a brand new tube. He comes and he makes you brand new again because that's what Jesus does because there's more in you. Come on, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place right now. And so I'm here to tell you today 
You may be going through some trouble today, but that trouble is not punishment from God. That trouble is training from God. It's training to make you stronger. It's training to make you wiser. It's training so that you'll have a story to tell. It's training to make you more resilient. It's training to make you more loving. It's training to make you more effective. He's not doing it to be cruel to you. He's doing it so that a greater version of you can come out this coming year to show you there's more in you than you ever thought. That there's more in you than you could ever imagine. Because greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Come on, give Jesus a big hand, a big shout in this place. Would you stand up together? Would you turn your neighbors on your right and your left? Give them a high five and say, there is more in you. There is more in you. There is more in you. That trouble may not be pleasant. It may be painful. But if you will treat that trouble not as torture but as training, It'll be a stepping stone to the destiny that God has for you. Praise God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and to lead us in the song. We're going to respond to God in this place right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I have a question to ask everyone here. Maybe today you find yourself in the middle of a struggle. Maybe it's a struggle in your marriage. Maybe it's a struggle in the relationship you care about. Maybe it's a struggle when it comes to your business, your career, your health, your ministry. And you realize today that God is wanting to change your perspective. That he doesn't want you to see your situation the same way again. But he wants you to have a persevering perspective. He wants you not to give up, not to quit, but to persevere. Because there's more in you. If that's you in this place, I just encourage you to respond to God by raising your hands. Let the height of your hands reflect how much you need God today. Let the height of your hands reflect your faith as you respond to his word today. Do you want to just lift your hands to God right now? Don't even wait for me to count the three. Just start lifting your hands to God right now. Start lifting your hands to God right now. And I just encourage you right now just to start talking to God from your heart. Just respond to Him. Respond to what you've been learning. Respond to what you've been hearing. Just start talking right now. Just start talking right now. Come on, just start talking to Him right now. Because He loves you. He's with you. your hands lifted and pray this with me right now. You can say, Heavenly Father, thank you that you allow me to go through trouble, not because you're not there, not because you don't care, but because you know there is more in me. Thank you for showing me that you are always greater than anything I'll ever face. And so please give me the right heart and the right perspective to face my problems with perseverance. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now?